You are listening to the My Sister's Cancer podcast. I'm Kayla Crum, registered nurse and writer. And I'm Ella Beckett, social worker and cancer survivor. We're sisters on a mission to care for the cancer community through the sharing of real life stories, a sprinkle of sass, and lots of support. Join us in a new kind of pity party. It's a pity so many of us carry the heavy burden of cancer alone. So let's make it a party and carry it together. Welcome back to the My Sister's Cancer podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kayla Crum, here as always with my sister, Ella Beckett. Today, we are going to be talking about mortality, especially as it relates to being young and being diagnosed with cancer. So just be gentle with yourself as you listen. If death is not something you want to think about today, for whatever reason, maybe give this a listen on a different day. We are going to be talking about death and just the concept of dying young and all of that. So you've been warned at the very beginning, that's where we're going today. Obviously our podcast isn't kicks and giggles on a normal day, but this is a death related episode. So just wanted to give you a heads up. So jumping right in, I just wanted to say off the bat that I think cancer is something that almost has death in parentheses behind it in our minds. Like when we hear the word cancer, we think, so maybe they'll die um, about someone. And that is unfortunately true when it happens to you or your family member. Um, I think that part of the shock of a cancer diagnosis is this idea that it is fatal if untreated or if we can't conquer it to use that fighting language again. (laughs) So I guess let's start there, Ella. Like, did you immediately think about death when you were diagnosed or did it like slowly dawn on you? What was that like? Yeah, I think that's right where my brain went. Um, Honestly, even before I was diagnosed, like, I remember when we first started putting language to the fact that it could theoretically be cancer. And even in those moments is when I first started thinking about dying and death. And honestly, up until that point in life, I don't know that I had ever, I mean, this is going to sound weird, but I don't know that I had like specifically thought of myself dying because I just feel like in my experience, at least when you're young and you're healthy, like I was in a really great headspace and I didn't really like focus on the end of my life, which I'm sure is pretty typical for a lot of younger people. But to answer your question, yes, I definitely think cancer and death are just very closely linked. And when you hear the words you have cancer, I think, like you said, in parentheses, it's like, and you may die from it. Mm-hmm. And that was just a hard thing to grasp. I mean, especially like we've talked about at the age of 18, when you're feeling youthful and uh, vivacious and about to start this exciting chapter of your life, it's like, wait a second. That might all stop here. 
Did you think that right when I was diagnosed too? I don't know about overtly. I definitely had that cancer death association. Like we were saying, it always kind of comes in parentheses after the word cancer. But I didn't really think about you dying until you relapsed, I think. Um, You know, you were diagnosed and then it was either the next day or two days later that we met with your oncologist the first time. And she said, this is going to be a terribly difficult four months, but you'll have your Ella at the end of it. And like, I've never Mm -hmm. forgotten that. And we clung to that that first time. She was like very, I mean, she was empathetic, but she was like, this is treatable. This is kind of common as far as cancer goes in young adults. Like you are going to have Ella. So we just kind of were able to write off death from that very first appointment. And I'm so thankful for that. It was there on the edges of my mind, but like we were told, you know, this is such a curable cancer. And then I think when you relapsed, I was like, excuse me, like false promises. Like I love your oncologist. Um, So I'm not mad just, you know, at her for saying that. But for all the reasons we've talked about on this podcast before, the relapse was really difficult. And then like when you were being transplanted, I was working with transplant patients and saw Mm -hmm. some of them die and saw second and third transplants fail. And so like that season was, I thought about your death a lot, honestly, like, you know, you can get one Mm -hmm. infection when you are basically having no immune system because they rip your whole immune system away to give you these new stem cells And, like, you get one infection and you go septic and, like, it can all be over. And I just, like, I saw that firsthand as a nurse. So, like, yeah. The Taylor Swift song, Soon You'll Get Better, about her mom's experience Mm -hmm. with cancer. She has this line where she says, "Uh, I hate to make this all about me, but who am I supposed to talk to? What am I supposed to do if there's no you? And that just, like, hits home for me because, like, I have the one sister and I'm so lucky that she's, like, my best friend. And, yeah, just the idea of you not existing and then, like, mm-hmm. me existing with just mom and dad and, like, my husband. But, like, that nuclear family you grew up with, it was just, it kind of blew my mind. So, yeah, I kind of thought about it the second time. Did you fear death that second time? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, I think what you were saying was a great point that like once we had met with my oncologist the first time around, I definitely feel like I was at more peace of mind that it was something that was treatable. But then when you were saying like, yeah, the second time around, it's like you're more questioning, well, shoot, like, what if this doesn't work? Like, then what? Right. Um, I don't know that I wrestled with a lot of fear surrounding it. Honestly, like I've said before, I was really close with the Lord in those moments, especially like throughout the whole transplant process. And I was just very like, strangely at peace with whatever was happening to me that I almost Mm -hmm. felt like, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is going to sound crazy too, but I was almost like, okay, whatever happens, like it's going to be okay. 
obviously like I didn't want to die, but I think I was coming to terms with that possibility. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting because I haven't thought about this until you just said that, but it's different for the people who are thinking about losing someone versus like the person who's thinking about leaving. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure it's a different experience. You know, something we haven't really touched on yet in this episode is suicide and suicidal ideation. Um, That's not something either of us has dealt with, but I do just want to acknowledge the reality, especially in the cancer community. I think that it's unfortunately somewhat normal. I don't want to normalize suicide, but what I'm saying is that like when your body is being put through so many things and your mental health has been worn down, I think a fair amount of cancer patients do experience that. And so I just want to hold space for that. We don't want to speak too much on it because again, like we have not experienced this ourselves and don't want to insert ourselves into someone else's experience. But if that's you know that you're not alone, that that's, not uncommon for cancer patients and sometimes their caregivers and family members and friends and that there is help. So we will put some links to suicide resources uh, in the show notes. And please just know that if anything we said today has brought up anything for you, um, those resources are there. And if we you know, spoke out of turn about anything, we would love for you to email us and let us know about your experience so that we can learn from that. Uh, And our email is hello at my sister's cancer.co. So just want to come into this conversation with complete humility and acknowledge that. It's funny, you said earlier in our conversation that you never really thought about death until you got cancer. Um, I was that morbid kid who was like Mm -hmm. up at night in the fourth grade asking mom and dad like about Mm -hmm. heaven and like, were we sure that it was worth it? Or like, should we just be done existing when we die? And like all of these deep theological questions, that was more heaven and afterlife focused than death. But I mean, they're tied together. So I definitely did kind of spend time as a child thinking about death. And I don't know, that probably says a lot about my personality in some good (laughs) and bad ways. But I don't know. I think that being raised in the faith, the Christian faith, like Jesus was your ticket to heaven. And so it was almost like you were taught to like not fear death because it's not Mm -hmm. really death. And yet that's maybe what culture or like the little C church was teaching us, like the global church. That's the messaging we sort of got. Yeah. I feel like our parents were pretty good about like having a reverent spot for death in our lives. We were like Mm -hmm. taken to an absurdly large number of funerals as children. Um, I didn't realize how uncommon that was until later 
uh, when friends in high school and college were like, I've never been to a funeral. I've been to one funeral for my grandfather. And I was like, I've been to more funerals than I can count. Um, Part of that is we have a large local family. My grandpa in particular was one of 10 children. And my mom was good about taking us to every one of those funerals. He was the youngest or second to youngest of 10 And so most of them died before him. And mom took us to all those funerals. Our mom also just has a really soft spot for elderly people and has often focused her social work career on the elderly and at church has looked out for and befriended the elderly. And so like we just had a lot of relationships with elderly people. And so even though we were fortunate to have all four of our biological grandparents until teenage years, a lot of special people in our lives had passed away um, and we'd gone to funerals by the time we were teenagers. Um, So all of that to say, like, I feel like we had a decent exposure to death. Like we weren't living in a world where we pretended it didn't happen or where it was something we didn't talk about. Um, So I am thankful for that, like acclimation or like healthy exposure, I think. Um, now none of that would have made it okay. Like I would have been, I can't even imagine what it would have been like if you had died. And I am conscious of that when we're making this podcast, because I know that not everyone's siblings are survivors. And so like, I never want to picture or like imagine out loud what that would be like. And then like offend anyone or like step on Mm -hmm. their experience. Um, So I'm not trying to make light of it by saying like, oh, well, I'm glad we were exposed to death and it was fine. That's not what I mean. I'm just sort of like thinking out loud about like how we even culturally think about death and, you know, all those funerals we went to, I think only one of them was for Mm -hmm. a child. Uh, I don't even know if you were old enough to go to that one. Maybe you did. I was a child. Um, One of our schoolmates not in either of our classes but a child in our school died from cancer at a young age so I vaguely remember that funeral and like that is I can't even fathom being that family um that was probably my first realization that like young people died because like you were saying you just don't really take that in all those other funerals were for old people where it was sad but it was like they lived their long life right so, which brings us to our next point about the AYA community, adolescent and mm-hmm. adult, right? Yeah, I think what you were just saying really speaks to the fact that we all just assume that we'll get to grow old and that we have many decades ahead of us. Like, even some of the language that we all just use or the way that we plan five years in advance, it's just like, we assume that all of this time is just a given. And I think coming to terms with the fact that that's not all for sure and that our lives can just end randomly, even when we're young, I think just is a really difficult thing to sit with. Well, and something that we... We'll probably talk about more when we get into more survivorship themed episodes is that a lot of people who go through cancer don't have a very 
firm prognosis. Prognosis is like the term used to mean you've heard the phrase like five years to live or two months to live or whatever. That's like your prognosis. You never really got a deadline, so to speak, because it was treatable. So your prognosis was like, this is curable. And now that you've passed like the five year post transplant mark, it's considered a cure, which is amazing. Um, but some people don't have it tied up with a bow and I'm not making light of your experience at all, but like some people are just, they just manage it forever. Like it's never totally gone. Maybe every so often it flares up and they treat it again. Like it's bizarre. Like I think that as a nurse in cancer, that was something that I didn't understand until I was in the cancer world. Um, as a nurse, I mean, like I saw like, oh, some people just like live with cancer. That's kind of dormant or like low grade. And that sounds so weird to use mm-hmm. those words pertaining to cancer. But like some people are truly never done. It's not like remission equals cure equals now I'm going to be 80. Like it's not that simple. Some people don't really know how long they have and live with that forever or um are told one thing and then they outlast it. And then they're just kind of like, okay, I don't know what to make of this. And that does a lot to your brain, to your mental state. One thing we wanted to touch on in this episode is the strangeness of being an adolescent or young adult, AYA. It's what we'll call it from here on out. Uh, Because you're kind of like riding the edge of cancer world. Um, do you want to say more on this, Ella? Like what your experience was? I mean, I don't know if we've said this, but you were treated at a children's hospital. Yeah. I think riding the edge is like the perfect way to describe it because on one end of the spectrum, I did all of my chemotherapy and like inpatient treatment and all of my doctor's appointments and everything. My oncologist was all at the children's hospital. So really every time that I went there, I felt really old I mean, to the point where like sometimes they were confused if I was the patient, (laughs) because when you're walking up to the front desk, it's like there's no children with you. They're like, "Okay," (laughs) And you're like, no, no, like I'm the patient, like I'm here for my appointment Um, because I appear to be an adult like they were confused. And I mean, that's not to say that they don't have other young adult patients. I think it's just less common. So like I'd be sitting in the treatment um, ward or treatment wing, whatever you want to call it, surrounded by a bunch of kids, right? And lots of toys and bright colors and child life specialists doing amazing things to entertain the kids and kind of distract them in many ways. Um, And I just felt very old and at times out of place, not necessarily like that's not to say that they didn't put forth an effort to make it a great experience for me too. And my, the age that I was, but there were just times where I definitely felt old, but then on the other end of that spectrum, I did my radiation in adult world as we'll call it. And 
I felt like a child because everyone that I saw that was like getting ready to go for their radiation treatments were like significantly older than me, like 50 plus. And again, this is a sweeping generalization. I'm sure there were many other young adults also receiving radiation, but I just have this really distinct memory of like you would put your things in a locker, you would change into your little hospital gown, and then you'd like wait in this little lobby waiting area and the nurse would like come get you and then bring you into radiation. And as I was like coming out of my little changing room, I remember there was this older gentleman probably in his seventies or so. And he just like looked at me and he looked so like sad and he just looked at me with like so much pity. And he was like, "Ugh, like you're just way too young for all of this. And like that really hit me because I was like, yeah, like <laughs> I know, but I, but I also was like, I don't think anyone should have to go through any of this, like regardless of what age you are. But like, that was just a really standout moment to me. Hmm. Yeah. And like, it's strange. Cause you're like, there's a whole room full of kids across the street, mm-hmm. dude, like younger than me. And yet to him, you were so young in that setting and he's right. You're both right. No one should have to go through it. But yeah, I think it's strange to be in that AYA category grappling with death. I think a lot of times older people with cancer, right, are closer to death, um, have maybe given it a little thought if they're in their 70s, maybe even 60s or older. <laughs> you know, outside of cancer, you already are kind of thinking like, okay, I'm in the last portion of my life or whatever. And then kids, I don't want to speak for kids. I'm sure it depends on the child, but really little ones like don't have to go there or like, I don't know. I I just don't think that it's quite the same as like being on the cusp of adulthood and like thinking you have this whole life in front of you. And then being like, maybe you don't. So, yeah, we just wanted to acknowledge the weirdness of being in that AYA group. Um, And we've mentioned on the superficiality episode, it's strange because people your age don't really grapple with mortality. I'm actually going to kind of take back what I just said about kids. Kids will often ask questions like, where do people go when they die? Or like, oh, so like if this happened to you, would you die? Like they just aren't afraid to go there, especially if they're like age three yeah. to six. <laughs> um, and and then older people also, I find, are often more willing to talk about death. And so like being in that AYA category, it's like none of your friends are just like casually talking about death usually or like grappling with mortality or philosophically musing about death or if they are you can tell it's in thought exercise it's not like they've actually had to think about doing it themselves so like in college I remember like there will be these great philosophical or theological debates like late at night or whatever it's kind of like it's like cool intellectual thing to do is like to just think through the universe or whatever but like when you've actually Mm -hmm. had to 
face death or your loved one has had to face death, you're like, this isn't like a thought exercise, you know, like this is reality. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think, I think I've mentioned this too on a previous episode, but um, one thing that I found extremely helpful was to join an AYA support group um, and to get to know other people my age who had grappled with their mortality and had endured cancer treatment and could relate with me on a myriad of levels that other people could not. Um, So I would just encourage those listening, seek that out. I would, I would hope that a social worker at a hospital could direct you to a local AYA group of some kind. I know that many hospitals are really trying to focus their efforts on this age group. Um, and several are starting groups of their own, um, but it might be through a different organization or something connected with the hospital. But I just can't stress the importance enough of getting plugged in with people who do get it so that you feel supported and understood and that you can talk about things like death and other really heavy topics that might land a little differently in other social circles. Yeah. And I will say AYA is defined differently depending on where you are. I think that some groups are like 18 to 25 and some groups are like, 22 to 40 like I've kind of seen quite a range um they're basically trying to target that non-teenager but like not middle-aged person 20s and 30s is often another thing I see but some of them are more narrowly defined so they're out there I'm gonna link in the show notes a bunch of Instagram accounts you can follow um there's a magazine, there's another podcast, like there's a lot out there for this age group and we'll link to a bunch of resources. Um, Gilda's Club is one thing I want to shout out in particular because that is a nationwide organization. It was founded um, because of Gilda Radner, who was a famous comedian and had her own cancer story. Um, And so... It's kind of in her honor, and they often do a lot of support groups, um, both virtual and in person, and will often have like an AYA group available. So that is a nationwide option, Um, but local organizations might have stuff too. Um, Again, like Ella said, your social worker should be able to tell you, or... Honestly, even like cancer.org or like the American Cancer Society sometimes has like directories of local groups. So we'll link up to a bunch of stuff for you to check out. Um, But yeah, we just wanted to address the elephant in the room, which I think is common in cancer. Uh, People don't want to be like, is she going to die? But like everyone's thinking it, you know? So, yeah, if you've been in that situation or struggled with thinking about death or whatever, like you're not alone and there are places to safely explore that. So next week, we're going to be completing our 
summer diagnosis episodes. So this will be our last episode for the summer, our last episode in the diagnosis season. And we're going to be closing it out talking about the limited options available to cancer patients and how frustrating it can be when there's really only one option for treatment. And that'll be a great segue into the fall season and really going deeper into that treatment season. So hoping that you all have a great week. Again, thanks so much for hanging with us and we hope to see you again soon. Mm -hmm.